Hello and welcome to the Second Row Podcast. My name is Pork Kelly and this week it's back to normal as Ushing returns. Hello Pork. I am indeed. I survived the wedding and you even managed to struggle on without me. Thanks again to, to Big Joe for stepping in last week. Yeah, it was really great and I'm just going to say it now. Happy birthday for last week. Oh, thanks buddy. <laughs> <laughs> look, this week we're talking round six of the Pro 14. But first, as always, we take a look at the news. Yeah, and I guess the conclusion to the Rugby Championship this weekend and New Zealand looked like they were going to get beaten home and away by South Africa, but then staged a a pretty stunning comeback, to be honest. it was a record comeback at International Rugby. Yeah, and won the game 32-30. to Unfortunately, that record was smashed mere hours later (laughs) when um, Argentina somehow threw away a, what was it, a 25-point lead or something? It was unreal. Good for Australian rugby, I guess. They do need some hope to cling on to. They certainly do, and people who don't have a whole lot of hope to cling on to. Italian international rugby player Sammy Panico. Last week he was arrested for the possession of drugs for the purpose of trafficking, and he's now being dropped by Zebra like, Ooh, good luck. We're not, not touching that. Yeah. Um, and speaking of bad boys, uh, Connacht's answer to Michael Flatley, Dominic Robertson McCoy. In all fairness, like if you heard us last week, I was not impressed. <laughs> as six weeks he's gotten from the committee and I think he did very well to get that like 12 weeks which was the original sentence is the lowest possible sentence for a top tier offence and then they gave him that and then halved it and he really was dancing a jig on top of poor Josh Vanderfleer. this automatic halving a sentence for saying sorry is a bit ridiculous I think it should be Obviously, he's sorry. Like, two weeks, he had the nice tie. Yep. And two weeks for his being his first offence. Eight weeks from that, I think, is a bit more of a fair reflection on him and his history. Halfing it is a bit of a joke. Especially with the emphasis on protecting the head there is these days. Well, luckily, it didn't look like Connacht needed him. Um, we chat about our first game of the weekend. Yeah, I was up at Ravenhill for Ulster versus Connacht. And we finally have broken that 58-year hoodoo of not winning a, ma- a match up there. Yeah, you didn't make it easy on yourself, but uh, 22 points to 15, great result. It really was, and you know, we we tried everything to lose it at some points. Yeah, and even talking about the personnel, you know, losing Marmion within, what, two minutes? And then Tiernan O'Halloran not long after that again. And that just proves how important Tiernan and Marmion are to how we play. Like, Marmion controls our game so incredibly well, mm-hmm. and... Tieran just brings that spark in the back line. He's the creator for a lot of the best stuff Connacht do. And how he hits the line is so important because I don't think Kelleher, when he's at fullback, brings that. He is a, he's a winger playing fullback and it tells. And it was very clear watching watching the game that that was the case. I tell you, speaking of hitting the line, that, by the way, first try was obstruction every day of the week. I don't know how it didn't get called. Yeah, I saw the replay a few times like, that, that, that doesn't look good, <laughs> but I'll take it. Absolutely. Um, and I think then Ulster just couldn't find a way back into the game. They seem to really get in their own head. And uh, the couple of players being ahead of the kicker and touching the ball, it's just brainless stuff, really. Once is bad enough. Twice in the one game is And the worst boring. thing is that second one where he, he's ahead of the kicker, he actually looks, checks his run, mm. then runs ahead of him again anyway. And he didn't need to, particularly in the first one. Stockdale, there was two other players chasing that ball. It just didn't make any sense. Um, they did get their try, though. Stockdale with that kind of just managing to stay inside oh, that the was dead a, ball. That was, in, that was absolutely incredible. But, it came, athletic, but it came from such a farce of us, of what we ever were doing in the corner beforehand. Yeah, It was one of those things. We just were so brainless in so many occasions. 
yeah, it, it's frustrating watching Connacht at the moment because there's potential there. The attitude is right, but some of the decisions being taken are just really, really poor. No, and across that full match, we didn't look like breaking Ulster down, but they didn't look like breaking us down either. You know, it was quite two very blunt attacks. Yeah. What was your take on the card? I like when I saw it live. I I always find those reds harsh hmm. because he's going for the ball. He's clearly going for the ball, and just because he doesn't jump, yeah he's getting red carded because Kelleher falls on his head. See, watching the replays, it looked to me like he fell on his on his shoulder or his back. I thought it was probably a yellow, but you know what? It, it changes games, which is which is tough, and it really fizzled out in the second half, which it shouldn't have because Connacht should have been able to drive that home. Like, 13 players you're playing against, and... We lose three points to nil. It's... <laughs> I think I was trying to just bang my head off the concrete wall. Trying to knock yourself out. Oh, I just didn't want to see any more of it. It was so bad well just so bad in terms of strengths what you would have absolutely wanted to see more of that scrum Connacht looked ferocious I know it was incredible and you know we got a penalty and we kicked to the corner so kept scrummaging yeah, on their 5 meter line like we didn't use it as a tool enough and even when the subs came on they still bossed it yep. it was really impressive and that tight 5 has been proving they're a good scrummaging unit for seasons now. And there's a bit of consistency this year as well. The same players are getting picked. There's only one or two players coming in and out. So Friend is starting to build a bit of form in that team, which is really important. In terms of teams, though, Ulster were so committed. You're watching the game and thinking they're going to have to come back at this because they're just giving up absolutely everything. The physicality, some of those hits. I'm actually surprised they didn't creak. Like They kept that going for 80 minutes. Mm. And that's a testament to what they've been doing all season. Yep. They don't give up. They're playing for the full 80 minutes. 80. Yeah. And we, I said it to fans up there, like, you know, it's your saving grace. You can be out of a game in one sense, but you're still fighting. Yep. And that spirit can't be bought. No. And I tell you what, I know we say this every week, but other than the, the dubious high tackle and trying to pop Alton Delan's head off like a champagne cork, um, could see it was excellent. Yes, yeah. he's, he's he's a monster over the ball, and he's such an impressive carrier. Yeah, he was incredible, and the fans up there are hoping that that the RFU let him stay here longer. Like they've put faith in him and his injuries, and he's not exactly stopping a seven emerging from, emerging from, nowhere, from no. nowhere. You know, well, it's funny. I mean, he was signed on a, a two or a three year contract, and he's only played about you know a thousand minutes of rugby. So hopefully, he will get another crack at that. Uh, weaknesses: ugh, the lack of depth is a killer for both of these teams. There just there isn't anything. Of the same quality coming up under the first choice 15 for no. Ulster or for Connacht. No, and especially in key positions. Like Farrell went off injured and Godwin came on and he's just not the same quality of player. He's a very different style of player as well. I mean, you'd argue that Tom Farrell has been one of your most important players this year now that he's back fit again. Yeah, and you know, Ulster's front row was, apart from best, hockey together. And mm. O'Toole has a great future. But when you're coming up against props who know what they're doing and are, are knocking on the international scene door. Buckley's still knocking, is he? He'll be knocking for a while. But. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, I thought, actually, from a, from a perspective of managing the referee as well, Rory Best had a really poor game. He, um, he just got on the ref's bad side and couldn't get off it. He had one of those occasions where you just really hate seeing how he was talking to the ref as a fan. Yep. You could tell... He was he was losing the head with the ref, and that's just no good. Yep. But from our point of view, and like more specifics to Connacht, we can't attack, or we can't attack more than two weeks in a row. There's not a lot of 
invention. And I know you lost Tiernan, who is one of your key players, but Jack Carty, I'm trying to figure out why he looks so good some weeks and so poor other weeks. And I think it's just the players aren't always on his wavelength. Like some of those kick throughs would be great if anyone was chasing them. Yeah, like I don't think Blade was playing a great ball yesterday. Like it was quite labored, slow. And then a kick is only as good as a chase. And that's in general. There's a lot to be worked on there. We got the win. You would have taken a dirty one-point win if you were offered it on a plate before. Exactly. Well, another game that was pretty comfortable and pretty much as expected, Glasgow versus Zebra in Scotland, uh, 36 points to eight. And, like, I mean, it wasn't emphatic stuff, but I don't think the manner of the victory is going to bother Glasgow. No, like, they just wanted the win at a bonus point, And, you know, they started very well with a try within five minutes. Yeah, and the problem, I think, was they didn't really kick on from there. Like, the game ebbed and flowed back and forth between Zebra, who had an awful lot of possession but just obviously weren't able to do anything with it because Zebre. The real jump for me was there was this monster Glasgow scrum about an hour in where it was about eight metres out from the line. And I think if the ref hadn't blown up, the Glasgow pack would have put the Zebre forwards into the stand behind the goal. Like, it was monster stuff. I love a good scrum. You can't, oh. you can't beat good scrums like that. It looked like it was on wheels it was going back so fast. But after that, Glasgow just realised, you know what, we need to up the level a bit here geared up did that thing that New Zealand do and the top teams can six minutes of just top top class attacking got the bonus point as much as Zebra have improved this year they have a long ways to go and Glasgow showed them this is what a top quality team is like when we want to go for the jugular and they did enough to win and this was Zebra without Carlo Canna as well it was to a degree a weakened side so much of what they do when they're playing effectively goes through Canna he's a huge loss for them from a strength perspective just having that clinical ability to lift their game when they need it really stands to Glasgow and will enable them to continue to pick up match points at this end of the season. And they're getting lots of good individual performances as well. You know, Hastings, once again, playing really well. Yeah, and Hugh Jones looked good as well, running really good lines from the centre. But despite the scoreline, Glasgow didn't have it all their own way. You know, Zebra held on to the ball well enough. They did. I mean, they had most of the ball in the first half, to be honest, and their territory was really good as well. And they were able to retain it when they held the ball. They just didn't have that clinical edge. And flipping to weaknesses, I guess, their set piece was a huge issue. The scrum was getting driven backwards. And they lost 40% of their own lineouts. And that's not to speak about the like the rotten ball they got and the ones they did win. And as the game is evolving, the set piece is getting more and more important. So if you're not getting anything from them, you're at a loss before you've even begun. Yeah, and there was plenty of opportunities to see the set piece because both teams seemed to have pretty serious discipline issues. Like 10 penalties against Glasgow, 9 against Sebre. It just broke up the game. So this this didn't feel very fluid. It didn't feel like a Glasgow game. So a penalty every like five minutes, pretty much. Jesus. Uh, yeah, not the best game of the weekend by any stretch of the imagination. And the other Scottish team in action uh, seemed to be a little bit more fluid. Well, at least the scoreline between Edinburgh v Cheat is, is actually a bit more entertaining. You know, 37 points to 21. It's a really good win for Edinburgh at home. It's a tri-bonus point win for them against Cheetahs, who don't necessarily tour all that well, but picked their strongest starting team. Uh, I keep saying this, Edinburgh looks so much more dangerous with Simon Hickey at 10 than they do with Van der Velt. His ability to create is incredible. His passing is crisp and in front of players for it, for them to run onto. He's less of a running threat, but he just does so much more with the backs around him. As well as Hickey did, Cheetahs do everything in their power to just lose games at times. They really do. The error count in this was horrific. Like There was one moment that kind of summed it up. 
off an Edinburgh kickoff, the Cheetahs pass the ball once, and then for some reason in their own 22, try and play a scissors run, and then knock the ball on. And you're just like own goal after own goal. And surprisingly, they were still in this match with 20 minutes to go. Yeah, there was, what, one, two points in it? And then Edinburgh, again, similar to Glasgow, just went, oh, we actually need to, to lift this. the level. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, and cruised through, got a couple of tries, but they did make it look like hard work. I think that's going to be Edinburgh's big failing this season. They're yeah. like, one is consistency. And, you know, we'll go to their weaknesses, really. Like, they're just not clinical enough. No, like, this Edinburgh team should have beaten this Cheetahs team but by the time they got to half time and they just weren't able to the reason they had to grind out a win was because they hadn't won the game convincingly before that and I think while they were showing phenomenal physicality like the back row was extremely impressive Mata and Bradbury in particular they just didn't seem to be able to put this cheetah side away if cheetahs were a bit more composed and you know could play the game through phases and just control the ball a bit better who knows what could have happened in this game? Like, the Cheetahs are always going to be able to create something out of nothing. They, they are outstanding at that. Their broken field running is one of the best in the league. But they just don't have the on-field intelligence, by my read of it, to slow the game down and play that physical stuff. So pretty much the result everyone expected, but probably a bit more to the scoreline than we would have guessed. So what you're saying is a good 10, they win matches. There you go. Speaking of teams with good 10s, or a battle of 10s anyway, Scarlets v Ospreys was a really odd game. Like, Scarlett's came out on top 20 points to 17. It's like two heavyweight boxers, one guy slogging and the other one counterpunching. It was right. really weird. So Ospreys were kind of the big heavy fella in the middle, keeping landing blows. But every time they needed to, Scarlett's just went... Yeah, Scarlett's took the lead after five minutes. Mm-hmm. But Ospreys then just, like, kept the ball for the next 30. Yeah. And only scored two tries. Yeah, and I think Ospreys fell victim to the same thing as the Cheetahs in a lot of ways. They just beat themselves, weren't able to hold on to the ball, lacked a bit of composure and allowed Scarlets to, to relieve the pressure on so many occasions. But the thing is, watching them, Ospreys never looked like winning. You okay. never had that confidence in like they're going to just go ahead and go, oh, they're just going to go and score two more tries. You never had that confidence in them because they lacked composure and they didn't look like anyone's going to take control and bring them on. Do you think that's a hangover from last year that they just don't have that confidence? From watching it, it seems like they're trying too hard not to be from last year. Everyone's working too hard. You know, mm. Tipperick's playing too hard. He's like, he's almost his own worst enemy at times. So is Alloway Jones. Davies is trying to prove how good he is. And they're just not quite clicking clicking properly. Yeah. And the thing with Scarlet's is they can just turn on the class when they need to. Like, there's a reason that they were coming up against Leinster for the best team in the league last year. They do have players who can just magic something out of nowhere. They are threatening from anywhere on the pitch. And McNichol is just so dangerous. And McNichol is actually the epitome of the strength of this team. Like, their ability to just attack from anywhere. They're attacking from inside their own try line at points. <laughs> nice. You know? Which is tough to do, because the Ospreys pack were serious. Like, they were winning that physical battle a lot of the time. And Tipperick is such a classic sneaky open side. He was getting away with murder at the breakdown. <laughs> but the thing is, Scarlet's up until this point didn't look like Scarlet's of last year. You can kind of, you know, you're kind of going where they've lost players. Where is it all going to come from? But you could just see hints of that coming back again. They're turning over ball again. They're just willing to just go for it, and they know they realize actually. Hold on a second. Let's just go for it. 
And I think if they continue that improvement that we've seen so far this year, maybe they're hitting form at the right time coming into Europe next week. Definitely, but they still have a bit more work to to go because I think packs at the moment won't fear them. No, and from an Ospreys perspective, I think they have the pack sorted, but they probably just need a bit more variety in their game plan because they don't look threatening as often as they should. No, and a bit more confidence won't go, wouldn't go amiss either. Which might help if they win a few games. Yeah. And they're doing better than last year. This is it. And they're going into the Challenge Cup this weekend. So hopefully they get a nice confidence boost from that. Exactly. Now we'll move on to the second Welsh Derby of the weekend. And Dragons hosted Cardiff. So let's get this out of the way early. Dragons lost. (laughs) Because Dragons. But they didn't lose it the way they normally did. 15 points to 23 is a closer game than I expected here. Yeah. um, Cardiff. But the thing is, it's more down to Cardiff than Dragons. Cardiff seems to have this like why aren't we winning this already so they kept forcing the ball and knocking on in stupid places and just like gave scrum like a five meter scrum to Dragons which they just passed across the pitch and scored a try simple simple stuff that the people, Dragons don't normally do <laughs> but teams have stopped doing that they're like we'll just bully them over because no just use your backs like yeah. they, you know they actually weren't afraid to just use their backs like, see those skinny lads standing yeah. out there in all the space like I said it was the Cardiff mistakes that let Dragons in but and their defence held up relatively well when Cardiff were trying to attack well, they were 12-5 up at half time, and Bernard Jackman must have been, you know, not walking under any ladders, not watching black cats, not breaking any mirrors in the tra- in the changing rooms to try and hold on to that lead. But they came out in the second half, and Cardiff just played rugby. Yeah, and, and Dragons just started making mistakes and giving the ball away. And I mean, the, the that, thing that, is, they were doing that in the first half as well, but so were Cardiff. Yeah. So Cardiff tightened up and went, oh, we just have to not be bad. Which is good coaching. It's good responsiveness. But the thing is, Dragons are clearly are bringing teams down to their level. And beating them with experience. <laughs> uh, but look, but they, no, they it, did seem better than normal, apart yeah. from their defending for Cardiff's third try. It was, it was incredible. Yeah. It, was absolutely, it was an up and under that a Cardiff player caught uncontested, then ran up the full length of the pitch. He got scragged down five metres to go. They passed across the back line to the other corner and scored. I was watching it on my phone going, no, no. Surely not. <laughs> <laughs> I actually thought he was going to score from the run. That would have been outrageous. <laughs> but like they, they were improved a little bit. And I think the Dragons, it's, it's really baby steps, but they are getting a little bit better every yeah. week. I just don't know that the pace of improvement is going to be sufficient. No, it's not. Like They will cause damage if they're given opportunity, but not many teams are going to give them opportunities. And I know this sounds really weird, but Bernard Jackman's standing on the sideline. How much of a big picture is he going to get the game from down there? That is weird. But you know what? Cardiff have a bench and a bit of depth in their team that means that when the Dragons are dropping off in the second half, there's just wave after wave of top quality players coming at them. Yeah, but with a game with this many errors, it's more about what team messes up the least. Yeah, and I think Cardiff probably, it was a poor first half by their standards and they'll be disappointed, but at least they went out and got the result. Although looking at the games you're targeting for bonus points, I think they'll have been frustrated by this. The Dragons have got to be an easy target this year for any manager looking to climb up the table. Especially given the fact that Dragons make so many simple mistakes all over the pitch. It's not just one area. It's every player in every position. Doesn't matter who, how, where or when. Somewhere, sometime, a Dragon is making a mistake. Pretty much. So we move on to the marquee fixture of this round. The no longer relevant Leinster v Munster derby. 
And this game at least was more fun than reading all of the nonsense in the press about it all week. And the scoreline was better than the press would have led you believe. Like 30 points to Leinster, 22 to Munster. It was a game that was worthy of an Interpro. It was. And it was an exciting match. It was the result I was expecting. I think as a Munster fan, knowing the strengths of the Leinster team, particularly when they went out and picked so many frontline players... I mean, I don't buy that it's a weakened team in that way. There's, you know, six Grand Slam winner medals on the on the 23. I was disappointed that Munster didn't manage to get the losing bonus point, though. Like, to leave with nothing out of that is disappointing. Yeah, and especially for the amount of ball you did have across the game. Look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it now. <laughs> White House had a bad game. I don't think he had a bad game for Munster or a bad game for Leinster. Because both sets of fans will point things out about different things. And they will balance each other out across the 80 minutes. I I don't know that they will. But you know what? You've said this and I think you were very noble about it when Davies um, robbed Connacht of that win earlier in the year. You can't let the referee be the defining factor in a match like this. It was close. It was always going to be close. But to be honest, the teams still look like they're coming together. And I think everybody had one eye on Europe next week. And both teams still look like they're finding their feet. It was quite weird. This game was a game of tens. If for me, you know, like it was Carberry versus Byrne, who came out on top. And, you know, man the match award aside, Byrne just seemed the better ten on the day. I think he shaded it, but I don't necessarily think it was night and day. I thought Carberry playing outside Matheson looked a lot more composed. And we had parity in the forwards for much of the game. It was just the Leinster backline, which cut us to shreds. I don't... I backline? Don't, well, James Lowe. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't understand how at this point people haven't realised you have to tackle him high. Like, you've got to wrap up his arms. The guy scores tries like nothing I've ever seen. He's incredible. And like as much as this was in the press, the match of the tens, to me it was the match of the wingers. Earls and Lowe were just fantastic. They were streets ahead of everybody around them. Part of the challenge, I think, for Munster's backline was we didn't necessarily have that second creative player like Dan Goggin and Sam Arnold, I think we're there because they're both excellent tacklers and it's a solid defensive mode. But going forward, you need another player who can step in and vary the attack. And Joey just wasn't able to do that on his own. No, I was sitting in the stands. I, I could actually see, oh, loop. I could see, I could see, I could read the monster defense from up in the nosebleeds. <laughs> you know, trained professionals will do it on the pitch. And that's a really, and it's a shame that that's what Munster went for in their selection because. Leinster picked a relatively defensive midfield as well. Like mm. there was going to be no real creative spark in there on either side. By defensive midfield, do you mean they didn't pick Joe Tamani who can't tackle? I was going to say they didn't pick Ringrose who can yeah, attack. That's true. <laughs> no, I think it was it was a game that Leinster will obviously be the happier with. Um, I'm sure they targeted this at the start of the year. They had a lot of players who kind of got through. Sean O'Brien came back, played a good game, no major injuries. That's important. Yeah, and then, you know, at one point they had all their sevens on the pitch. All of the sevens. <laughs> and when I saw him come on as a sub, I hated that red cap. Van der Fleer is so annoying. Yeah, he's a, he's a hell of a player. I think both of these teams are, are still hitting form. Obviously, Munster are quite a way behind, but steps are being taken and fingers crossed. Personally, I think if he worked as hard as Ulster worked in the Connacht match, you win that game. Part of it, though, is Munster are still settling into those patterns. There's new personnel there, changing your fly half. As you know, Joey's only started two games at 10 for us this year. And I think when we get into those, when those patterns of play become second nature, you'll start to see the work rate kind of come back because otherwise it's just a bit headless chickens. 
And from a Leinster perspective, they didn't really need to play much better on the day. No, they've continued their form this season of doing exactly enough and no more. But from a weakness's point of view, Munster are very predictable in attack. Yeah, and, and I just I do think that comes down to selection. If you look at who comes out on the pitch for us against Exeter next week, I will be expecting to see Rory Scannell. Um, if we don't have Scannell, I'd be expecting to see somebody like Mike Haley at fullback who can take the ball on a bit more. We just need that second playmaker on the pitch. Yeah. Otherwise, it, it's you're right, we are just too easy to read. Yeah, I know, because like Earls was your best midfielder. Yeah. <laughs> or is he is just the man like he was he was incredible like um but Leinster on the other hand their scrum didn't hold up as well as it should like I was expecting it to and for the players they had in it that would be a worry it helps when Peter O'Mahony is acting as a third second row I I didn't cop that during the game but it's pretty obvious from the footage that he's uh, put in a fast one there so no more complaining about scrums and penalty tries or anything like that I'll complain all I want. <laughs> uh, speaking of penalty tries, the last game of the weekend, uh, Benetton against the Southern Kings, and a very efficient result. Benetton, 28 points, Southern Kings, 5. And in all fairness, given the conditions, that's actually a very good scoreline. Oh, like it would have been drier to play that game underwater. It made the sports <laughs> crown look like the Sahara Desert. Uh, look, Kings really struggled with those conditions. What, you mean the fact that they were on a pitch and people were playing rugby? <laughs> oh the weather yeah that too I suppose <laughs> well look wasn't it nice for the Kings to have something other than being chronic to blame for their terrible performance anyway moving on similar result to last year bonus point win for Benetton yeah and given that it took the Kings 30 minutes and the concession of three tries to uh, to score their single try of the game their only score of the game this was only ever going to end one way and two penalty tries like it's just the mind boggles. Like, we are here on a podcast every week talking about the Southern Kings having no discipline. Like, even when they win, they have no discipline. But, like, two yellow cards and a third yellow, so one of them converts to red. That's just outrageous. Like, it's, it's actually, it's really frustrating watching a team who have the type of potential that they do destroying their chances of being a credible team. And it's off their own doing. This isn't like people going out to get them. They're just that poor in their discipline it's outrageous it, it genuinely is um, I still think that game against Ulster is one of the worst performances I've ever seen from two teams in terms of discipline but this is right up there anyway look what weaknesses could that match show Benetton zip but you know what on the other, on the other hand they played the right game yeah, it was actually smart. You talk about, we've talked a couple of times in other games about a lack of game management or strategy selection, but Benetton stuffed the ball up the jumper, kept it tight, and they made 96% of their tackles, which is really impressive. They got the bonus point, move on. Absolutely. And taking a look at where those games leave the two tables, uh, looks an awful lot like last year. I know, but the tables are a bit tighter. Yeah, so Glasgow are cruising away at the top of Conference A with five wins out of six. And then all within three, three points. points, you've got Ospreys, Cardiff, Munster and Connacht. Zebra and Cheetahs not having as good a start to the year. And Connacht haven't faced Ospreys or Cardiff yet. Oh, nice. You know, like when you look at those type of things, there's, you know, this, that table is going to have... There's light at the end of your tunnel. Go away. In Conference B, once again, same as last year. Yeah, and again, Leinster at the top. But then within three points... Scarlets, Benetton, Edinburgh and Ulster. So it's very congested. Uh, also, Dragons and Kings are there. Propping up something. <laughs> I, 
I don't know that I would call them much of a foundation. <laughs> yeah, you're right. But as much as things are staying the same, look, Cheetahs, bottom, bottom of their of conference. Their conference. Benetton, you know, third and theirs. They're big shifts in what was a steadier table last year. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this goes on. You know, a couple of weeks off for Europe now. See what type of momentum players can bring back into the Pro 14. Mid-November, yeah. even after the Christmas Interpros, we'll really see what that home stretch is going to look like. Absolutely. So we'll move on to the second row top performer and clown the round. And you have picked our top performer. That's right. And we're going to the Cheetahs for the second week in a row. This week to Maxwane, though. He scored two outstanding tries, but... The pick of the bunch was the one he created from a transition ball. It broke down the left so quick, like Hurdle stepped out of two or three tackles and released the most outrageous offload to, to get the first try for the Cheetahs. Um, if the rest of the players around him weren't falling over each other and just clapping their hands instead of catching the ball, then this could have been a very different game. But he still stood out even in a losing side. It's mad to think that two Cheetahs players, two weeks in a row, have been our top performer on losing teams. That's just proving what they're doing in that team. There needs to be consistency across the players, and they could get some real results. What about you, Porek? You've gone for our clown of the round? Well, my initial thought was, from the Leinster Munster match, and both teams not knowing what sides of the pitch they're meant to be playing on. This is where they all came out before kickoff and had to switch sides. Yes, but because we can't pick one person to blame it on, we just thought we'd have to highlight it. <laughs> Fair enough. We don't know whose fault it was, so no clown. So what I'm doing is, I'm going to pick it from the Connacht Ulster match. Okay. And when Creelan Blade throws the ball into Alton Deland's face. Oh, that was so funny. So, painting the picture, this is just after they've been marched back for a back chat by 10 metres. Yep. And Blade pings the ball. And I think he's just trying to throw it back to the Ulster players. But it just dings Ulton directly into the nose. And he gives Caelan Blade a look. as like filthiest look. Because he gave away the original penalty himself. So he thought he was getting given out to. Oh, Brit. Could you imagine if that was a real thing in rugby matches? <laughs> you make a mistake or you give away a scrum penalty and you just get dinged in the face. <laughs> Love it. Caelan Blade is our clown the round. For dinging Ulton in the nose. Yep. Well, move on, I suppose, and have a look at next week's fixtures. So... For those of you who are wondering, we will be back next week talking about some of the Pro 14 sides in Europe. Yeah, and what we'll do is we're going to go through the Pro 14 teams now, pool by pool. Okay, so in Pool 1 of the Champions Cup, we have Leinster versus Wasps, which should be a great fixture. Yeah, it's European rugby. All these games are going to be good fixtures. <laughs> That's fair. Like From Leinster's perspective, they're getting Wasps at a good time because they'll be without their South African players. And Sopoanga. And Sapawanga, so definitely good timing. Munster travel to Exeter. That's a tough game. Um, I'm hoping it comes together, but Sandy Park is a really tough ground to go to and get results. And like you've got such great away form this year. <laughs> so in Pool 3, <laughs> uh, Pool 3 sees Cardiff travelling to take on Leon and Glasgow hosting Saracens. They're two good games for two very different reasons. Yeah, um, I think Glasgow Saracens, you'd like to think that one or both of those is going to get out of their group. And so that could be a real humdinger. And then two teams of at equal level, almost trying to see where they stand in the European terms. Leon have been really good in the French top 14, but they haven't been able to convert that form into European rugby in the last number of seasons. Let's see if they can do it this time. And Cardiff will have a point to prove with their Challenge Cup trophy coming in. Absolutely. Um, Ulster versus Leicester and Scarlets versus Racing 92 then in Pool 4. And both these games kicking off at the same time on Saturday. 
I like that from the same pool set at the same time. There's something old school about it. Yeah. Again, Ulster and Leicester, two teams who have had a weird start to the season. Some very good performances, but some pretty chronic results as well. And and Scarlets who are looking like they're finding their form again against, you know, Munster 2. Well, yeah, is that what we're calling it now? <laughs> Munster, Munster B. B. Munster B. God, like a Finn Russell-inspired Racing 92 um, with Zebo in the back line, Dunica Ryan in the pack. It, that's going to be a cracking game. Pool 5 has Montpellier versus Edinburgh. Yeah, and Vern up against some of his old charges in Edinburgh. Be interesting that one. I, I'd like to. I can't wait to see what the selection is actually. And in the Challenge Cup, because you know it does count. For <laughs> <laughs> you. Yep. So Dragons are travelling to wherever Timmy Asora Saracens are from. Romania. Thank you. And then in Pool Two, Ospreys are playing host to Poe, which is Munster C, I think actually. <laughs> <laughs> Connacht host Bordeaux. Great game. You're going to that one. I'm going. Of course, I'll be there. Excellent. And then in pool four, Bristol Bears, who got absolutely whomped by Worcester this weekend, uh, have got Zebra for their trouble. Yeah, Connacht B. Connacht B. Okay, this is just getting confusing. (laughs) Who's who? Um, Probably the best of those games for me is then the last one, pool five, Benetton play host to Grenoble. Should be a good game. It should. I hope Benetton win that. And I expect them to, I think. Um... What about you, Porok? Have you picked a game of the round to watch? I have picked the game of the round, and it's going to be Scars versus Racing. That is just a money game. Box office. Yeah. So Ulster Leicester is mine. Two teams who really have it all on the line at this point of the season. So absolutely going to be a cracking game one way or the other. That's great. So everyone, go out, watch Scarlet's Racing, get a time machine, go <laughs> back, watch Ulster Leicester. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, get thank- that Sky Plus box going. <laughs> Thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back next week discussing how the Pro 14 sides got on in the opening round of Europe. And don't forget, we're available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, SoundCloud, Acast, Stitcher, and all podcast apps. And please do take some time if you can to give us a rating or, or give us a review. It'll help other people find it. And subscribe to make sure you get all of the episodes directly to your device. We really, really do like hearing from you. So do get in touch on facebook.com forward slash the second row or on Instagram and Twitter where we're at the second row. That is 2ND, not the word second. So until next time, goodbye and thanks again for listening. Take care.